Welcome everyone to today's devotion. Happy New Year. I trust uh, the, the new year is starting off well, um, even though uh, we're still going through some of this COVID stuff, but the vaccine and everything is is on its way. With that said, uh, we ended the year with Christ riding on a white horse, and I thought that's just a fitting way to conclude a very difficult year. Um, and we begin the new year looking at Christ upon a white throne. Uh, and I think that's a fantastic way to start the New Year's. Not the way I had planned it whenever we, we started all the way back in March with these devotions, but I'm glad it has worked out this way. Um, with that said, chapter 20, there's a lot of debate. In fact, if you were to ask someone, what is your view of the end times? They're essentially going to give you their interpretation of a single word in chapter 20. And the word there is a thousand. Um, so what you have, and we'll go through these all millennialists, pre-millennialists, post-millennialists, and even within those categories are subcategories. So with premillennialists, there's historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, and even under dispensational premillennialism, there's pre-trib dispensational premillennialism, post-trib dispensational premillennialism, mid-trib dispensational premillennialism. I, I, I trust I've lost you by now. Uh, the point is, is that when it comes to the study of the end times, the, the, this section of Revelation is, is a matter of significant debate because the question is, is the events of particularly chapter 6 to 19, are they all future? Are they all present? Or are they mostly or even all in the past? And chapter 20 is, is, has proven over the centuries to, to, to be the, the text, particularly that one word, that will determine how you view everything else. Now, what we've done in these devotions, because I'm not interested in convincing you of one position or another, because I don't really have a strong position one or the other. But, but what we've done is, is we've said, look, I think there's some real arguments with the preterist view in that it's all in the context of Jerusalem or Rome or however you want to view your, your preterism. Uh, I, I think there could be some truth to dispensationalism or, uh, um, and, and in some other views. And so what we've done is we've taken a past, present, and future view of Revelation because I think there's some real truth to, to each of those. With that said, it, it will re require us to, to think about this chapter. But let's, let's look at it from a bird's eye view. We open up in verses 1 to 3 with the view of uh, uh, from the earth, right? An angel descends and casts uh, the devil into, into the abyss, we'll talk about. And then verses 4 to 6 is the view up in heaven. And so we see the, the, the martyrs, for, for example. We have talk of the first resurrection. Verses 7 to 10, we're back on the earth. So this is the Gog and Magog, you know, all that stuff from Ezekiel 28, 29. And then verses 11 to the end of the chapter, verse 15, we're back up in heaven with the great white throne judgment. So, so we see this earth, heaven, earth, heaven sort of uh, uh, approach to, to the chapter. Let me also say that when it comes to interpreting chapter 20 as much a revelation, uh, we, I, I do think it's most helpful to see it as cyclical. Now, this would create problems with my dispensationalist background in that everything in Revelation from chapter 6 to, to chapter 21 is, is that everything is linear. So what happened in chapter 6 comes before chapter 7, which comes before chapter 8, and so on and so forth. And so what you'll see is uh, there's the battle described in chapter 12 with the beast and all them is different from the battle described in chapter 19, and that's different from the battle in chapter 20. I, I, I don't 
I, I don't really hold on to that. Um, um, I'm, again, I'm not real uh, dogmatic on a lot of Revelation, but the more I read Revelation, the more cyclical I see it. I do believe Revelation will describe the same thing, the same event, in multiple chapters. And we've talked about that, uh, particularly when it comes to the Day of the Lord. I think there's an early reference to the Day of the Lord in chapter 6 uh, with the uh, sixth seal. But nevertheless, let's just look at the text and see, see what, what comes of this. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bomb's pit and a great chain. Which is fascinating because we saw essentially the same language in chapter 9. Remember in chapter 9, uh, a, a divine being comes out of heaven uh, with a key um, and unlocks the, the abyss. And out of that comes the, you, you remember one of my favorite images of, of Revelation, these scorpion um, uh, locusts. Um, demon things, right? And we talked about that. So you can go back to our study of chapter 9. Well, this is similar imagery, but but there uh, the, the key was used to to unleash uh, demonic forces. Here, the key is used to imprison demonic forces. In this particular case, the, the dragon. You see there, verse 2, he seized the dragon, that ancient servant who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, you see there that uh, if you're wanting to develop a theology of Satan, uh, chapter 20, verse 2 of Revelation is a key passage because now we can go back into the Old New Testament and say, okay, now I see where where it was being developed, the idea of Satan was being developed, and he's popping up here and there, uh, but not explicitly stated. Well, now John has given us an interpretive key to, to all this. This goes all the way back to, to the Garden of Eden, where the dragon is in a form of a serpent, right? There he deceives, uh, but uh, as a dragon he devours, really the two main things that, that Satan does. Um, but uh, he is bound for a thousand years. And that's the question. A thousand years is mentioned again at the end of verse 4. Um, and the question is, what does it mean by a thousand years? And you have really two options. One is a literal interpretation of a thousand years. That is literally one thousand years. The other is a symbolic interpretation of, of a thousand. So a dispensationalist, what they'll say is, you have Armageddon, right? You have all of that. And then what happens is the binding of the dragon, um, so so the beast and false prophet and woman are thrown into a lake of fire. The dragon, Satan, is thrown into uh, the abyss, this this holding cell, if you will, for a thousand years. And there for a thousand years, you have the reign of Christ literally on the earth with the saints. And so you have this millennial period. And, and there's some complications with that, uh, but nevertheless, you, you have that. Um, and then at the end of a thousand years, uh, the dragon, the devil, is released. And one final war, Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 28 and 29, and there uh, he is crushed once and for all, thrown to the lake of fire, and then you get um, the great white throne judgment. That's a literal interpretation. So you, so you have a literal chain uh, that, that Satan is bound by, a literal prison, if you will, in the abyss, and you have a literal thousand years. In general, dispensationalists, uh, their approach to eschatology is literalism. Uh, and I think I think there's there's something good in that uh, for reasons that will go beyond our, our our devotion here today. Other views on millennialism, postmillennialism, and others would see all of this as some as a symbolic term in a symbolic chapter in a symbolic book. I think there's there's some real power to that argument. Um, so if you read uh, or look at the use of a thousand in the Bible, it's often associated with um, a way of saying a large number. 
Um, so Joshua is told of an army of a thousand people, for example. God has said that today is a thousand years, thousand years is a day. So we, we, we get language like this throughout the Bible to mean symbolic. So in that context, Satan is bound for a symbolic period of time. That, that is a long period of, of, of time. Uh, and I don't think that's a possibility. But it really just depends on um, if you view the events of Revelation as uh, past and present, or if you view it all as future. And if you view it all as future, you're going to see this as a literal. Uh, but if you view it as, as past and present, what you're going to argue is we're right now in this millennial period. And all millennials will say, well, well, it isn't that things are going to get better. It's actually going to get worse. A post-millennials will say, no, we are in a millennial period now with the reign of Christ. Satan is bound to a certain extent um, to where the gospel can, can go out. Uh, but the time will come when the nations will roar again and Christ will, will come and put an end to it. So whatever your view is of that. Um, um, is, 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 is fine. I think there's a conversation to be had there. But it is amazing that entire eschatological theological systems come down to the interpretation of a single word used twice in this one chapter. Uh, it is striking, isn't it? Uh, but it's important. Um, but it is, it is quite striking. Nevertheless, uh, he was thrown into a pit and shut it and sealed it over him so he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And you can uh, read and study uh, your own view of, of eschatology to see how all of that is, is interpreted. For the sake of time, because I've already gone longer than, than I intended, I've probably lost anyone and everyone who may tune in. I want to skip down to the final defeat of Satan. Now, I lean into that uh, um, what happens in verse 7 to 10 is simultaneous what happens in the chapter 19. Remember, Jesus comes down uh, as, as uh, a rider on the white horse. The sword is coming out of his mouth, the word of God, the gospel preached. And, and there we saw at the end, the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Here we see the dragon thrown into the lake of fire. I suspect that what is described in chapter 19 is what's described here in chapter 20, verses 7 to 10. But I could be wrong on that. Uh, so we see that thousand years are ended, whether that's literal or symbolic. Uh, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. That doesn't mean the earth is flat. What that means is northeast, south, and west, right? The four corners, right? The, 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 it's, a, it's an ancient way of saying the, the, the entire earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. Now, if you know your Old Testament, we've already mentioned this, um, but Gog and Magog is taken from Ezekiel 28 and 29. Now, it's possible what you have there is a, a, a nation that some have tried to identify. I think it's best to, to be careful with that. Gog coming from the north, and, and with Gog is Magog. Now, the Ma and Magog might mean land of. So what you have is Gog and the land of, of Gog. Um, do with that whatever you want. Obviously, there's views on what all that means. The point is, is that to John, he sees this battle whether it's the same battle as Armageddon, the same battle as Jesus on the white horse, same battle going all the way back to chapter 12, or the same uh, sort of description of the day of the Lord in chapter 6. Regardless, uh, John connects the, the scriptures of, chapter, of, of Ezekiel 20 and 29 to this in Revelation 20. So if you're a dispensationalist, this is the final battle of, of the world prior to the uh, new heavens and the new earth. 
but if if you're not a, a premillennialist, then you, then I think you'll see some connection with with those others. And nevertheless, what we see is Christ's final rule and reign, and 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 you see his defeat over the enemy. Down to verse ten, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever to the glory of God. Right. Uh, this is finality. This is the end of it all. Uh, but then what we get from that is the judgment. So chapter 19, we see Christ on a white horse. In chapter 20, we see Christ on a white throne. And this is consistent with the Olivet Discourse. Remember, the Olivet Discourse of Matthew, we have Jesus uh, triumphing, ruling, and reigning in chapter 24. We see him judging in chapter 25. Uh, there uh, between the sheep and the goats. And that's, that's the scene we get here. The white throne is, is mentioned in verse 11. Down in verse 12 it says, I saw the dead, great and small, rich and poor, uh, popular and unpopular, everyone. Like every, death makes us all equal, as does birth, by the way. Um, something society is getting away from because we're getting away from the gospel. Standing before the throne, the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. You have books over here. You have a book over here. Uh, the book over here is the book of life. That phrase is found throughout the Bible in various places. You can do a word search for that. The dead were judged by what was written in the books. This is their deeds. Uh, verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Now, I think this is symbolic language. I don't think you have an actual uh, tidal wave bringing up dead people. Um, but in the Jewish mindset, the sea was the place of fear, of, of death. Um, we'll see, I believe tomorrow, um, sea sometimes can, can reference sin. Um, um, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge whenever we get there. But you, you think about um, uh, what the Red Sea represents. God's intervened. What, what was keeping them in Egypt was a sea until God intervened and, and made dry land out of the sea. Go back to the creation account where, where, where you, you have this, this mass of water and you, what you have is chaos and God brings order out of that chaos. story of Jonah is, is that he would rather go to the sea than go to the city. Right? Um, a Paul shipwreck at the sea. It's a common imagery throughout th throughout uh, the Bible. The people of Israel were not a seafaring folk. They ain't Vikings. Um, rather, they, they they are they are people of the land because this is this is God's land, right? Um, so so the sea bringing up the dead would have been uh, an Im a type of imagery that the Jewish readers would have understood. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what, what they had done. So death and Hades, just for sake of simplicity, just means um, uh, the grave. Okay, I think it's more than that, but for our purposes, the grave. Um, then death and Hades, after the judgment, after everyone's judged, he says, this is the day we're all looking forward to. Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. You want to know why there's eternal life in, in heaven? Um, you want to know why there is no annihilationism in hell? Because death itself will cease to exist. Death and Hades will be no more. No doubt we have all been before the casket of someone we love. We have witnessed the burial of someone we deeply care for. And what is it that we want in our heart of hearts? For death itself to be defeated. For death itself to be judged. And the day will come. Look, no other religion no pop psychology, no secularism can promise you that except the gospel rooted in one who conquered death by being raised from the dead.
That is why the gospel is good news. It's not good news because Jesus make you rich, wealthy, happy, and, and all that sort of stuff. It is good news because death, the devil, and depravity will all be defeated. And a part of sanctification is to overcome our depravity by the gospel of Christ. But the power of the gospel is the crushing the head of the serpent who was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. And the death itself will join him there. Boy, that, that is why the gospel is good news. How we long for that would day. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too was thrown in the lake of fire. This is a final plea from John, the revelator, that your name may be found in the book of life. May that be the case. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.